There's no one like Jesus. Chapter 4 of Matthew, we read an account of when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Praise God for your word. Let's pray. God, we are your people. You have drawn us here this morning to know you in a greater way so that we can leave this place and we can confront the enemy and we can say it is written so God we want to know your word we want your word to fill our hearts we thank you for your spirit Lord that indwells us Father I pray that right now as we prepare ourselves to hear a word from Pastor Chris that you would open up our hearts that you would give us a spirit of understanding so that we can know your word and we can combat the evil one because your name is great. And Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, a lot of that song, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out your praise, right? Just recognizing that every breath comes from the Lord and like our life, God breathed life into us, that our life is for the Lord. And so as we dive into Matthew chapter 4, we're talking about probably a topic you've read before, talking about the temptations of Jesus. And we're kind of diving in um, to it today. Hopefully you got a handout as you came in with your bulletin because we're going to reference that here um, in just a second because God is cool. All right? God puts together his word in these incredible ways to just encourage us through them. So look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus has just gotten off of the baptism, right? He's now going out into the wilderness. And so, you know, curious to what the wilderness might look like. There's a couple of different options. Um, as we were in Israel this summer, one of the options might be sort of this sort of picture with kind of a, of a hilly area, pretty rocky, a few little scrubs shrubs, whatever it is, shrubs, yeah, um, those things there, right, for him to kind of maybe find some shade under, or it could have been something like this that was more rocky and more deserty region, sort of like what David was going through when he was trying to hide from Saul. Um, a lot of Israel is hilly and rocky and desert, 
And so when he was pulled on the, in, into the wilderness, we know that he was out in this dry, arid land. In fact, Mark even says, out amongst the wild animals that were out there. So when Jesus went out, he went to a region that wasn't comfortable. He went out to a region that um, was going to test him in many different ways, right? And so as, we, as I was reading this this week, when I started reading, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I started being like, well, well why? Like, why, why is Jesus going to go out into the wilderness? I mean, we know what's going to happen. Jayton read it for us earlier. He's fixing to call Peter and James and John and Andrew and, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And, and then all of this ministry is just going to explode on the scene where people are being healed. People are being set free. All these incredible things are happening. So now Jesus is stepping away to get right with the Lord, to fast and prepare himself for this ministry. So really there, I think there's two purposes that we see in this temptation of why it happened. And here, here's the first one, all right? The, it was to show the superiority of the new covenant versus the old covenant. That Jesus was coming to bring something new, something exciting, something that was going to change the world forever, literally so much so that we're going to change the way we do time and date things because of Jesus' arrival on the scene this is Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, if you didn't know that there are these cycles that are happening throughout the scripture. I want to show you if you got that bullet, the bulletin, you got this piece of paper. You can look at one side of it or it'll be on the screen if you can see it. And that there are these cycles that God has been taking the people of God through since the beginning of time. And these cycles have a lot of similarities. And Matthew is purposely writing his book to parallel, to take a parallel course with Israel. And that Israel, they did these things, and when they're in the wilderness for 40 years, they failed time after time after time. Ten times they tested the Lord, as we learned about as we went through the Exodus series. But yet Jesus is going to be led in the wilderness for 40 days, and he's going to stay firm. His covenant is better and we just see these interesting little parallels that are going on from, from the birth to even uh, the coming of John the Baptist um, being that herald coming onto the scene. Even the, the coolest one is just how baptism is kind of paralleled throughout these different times. You can see how even Noah's Ark was corresponding to baptism is what First Peter talks about. And then you see even them going through the Red Sea and being set free from, from Egypt and the slavery and all the hardships that we went through the Red Sea those things were destroyed, and they had this new freedom, yet they still fell. Just like when we walk with Christ and we give our life to Christ, we're a new creation. That new creation doesn't take long to fall back into those habits and those old patterns again. But Jesus is going to be this beautiful pattern that just as Israel failed, Jesus is going to succeed because the new covenant is better. The heart of stone is gone. The heart of flesh is here. We can now have victory in Christ. So we see sort of this parallel track that Matthew is taking us on. So today we're in that wilderness time and showing that Jesus is going to pass the test. He's going to trust in God in this process. And then there's a second reason, I think, that this temptation is recorded for us to see. And this is the idea that Jesus' character is superior, that he has a superior character to of all things. That when we decide to follow someone that we can truly follow Christ. Like, I don't know if you've gone hiking in the mountains, right? But the trails, they kind of go off on their own. It helps to have a guide, right? And it helps if that guide knows where they're going. 
right? It's important. I remember we went to Hawaii one time, and we got a chance to hike out to the volcano, and there's lava going to the sea. It was super cool, but then you have to hike back at night. So we had a headlamp, and we're following someone. They almost led us off a cliff because they didn't know where they were going. It's pitch black. We're just walking like, whoa, hey, let's go this way, right? Somewhere else because you only see the little bit before you, and all of a sudden, like, those waves are crashing pretty close. Yeah, they're right down there. Right? It's good to have a guide who knows where, he, where he knows where he's going. If you want to have victory over sin, follow Jesus. Jesus is the perfect character, the perfect ability, the perfect person for us to show, to follow if we want to have victory over sin. Question, do you want to have victory over sin? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I know, I know, I know. Yes! In church. Get home and it's like, oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we kind of want it. We kind of do. I like ice cream. I just do. It tastes better than kale and spinach. It just does, okay? It just does. It's a weakness for me, okay? It just, it's just there. So, yeah, we want victory, but do we really want it? Well, we're going to see in this picture this beautiful kind of illustration of Jesus teaching us how to overcome those things. But before we dive into it, let's talk about the nature of temptation. Because remember, being tempted is not a sin. The acting upon it, the, the willingness to engage it mentally, that, that's where the sin comes in. But temptation itself is not a sin. So let's talk about the nature of sin. And let's go back to James chapter 1. Probably the best kind of view into this um, nature. James 1, starting in verse 13. Okay, It says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So whenever we're feeling temptation, we can't blame God for what's happening. It's something else. All right? We're going to talk about that, what that is in a second. But did you, did, you, did you feel it? Because remember, when we come in this room, we're trying to equip you to be ready to go into the world. People will say, well, James 1 and Matthew 4, that's a contradiction in the Bible. Because... Aren't we studying Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? Yet this verse says that God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. What are we here for? The Bible's, ah, right? This is what the world wants to tell us. It wants to discourage us in this. Well, how do we answer that question? Well, here's a cool term, the hypostatic union, right? Doesn't that sound awesome? Like just say hypostatic union, they're like, Oh, okay, and then argument over. All right, but that's just a fancy way of saying that Christ has a dual nature, which is really a fancy way of saying he's fully God and fully man. This idea that the God of heaven would take on flesh, what does that mean to be fully God and fully man? And how does it tie into what we're talking about today? Well, let's, let's explain. So fully God, right? We see in Colossians 2, verse 9, that in Christ the Fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily, right? So we see that Jesus was fully God. That means that he had the impeccable character of God. That God cannot be tempted with evil. God does not sin. That God is love. He is righteousness. He is pure. He is holy. This is the fullness of God. But remember, God stepped into the flesh. This is the incarnation of Christ. Just like John 1, verse 14, talks about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? This is the picture of God himself stepping into the flesh. So now we have the God, eternal, 
everlasting stepping into the flesh. And so now we have this fully human Jesus that Hebrews 4.15 says was tempted in every way we were but without sin. This helps him be able to sympathize with us in our struggle and our abilities. We have a, a God who not only has an impeccable character and righteousness and love, but we have a God who is able to feel the weight of sin and feel the temptation that is there, but the fully human part is totally subservient to the fully God part, are we? Because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have God living in us. Are we willing to listen to that voice more than we listen to the other voices in our head? Right? And we know this. If you look at Romans 8, verse 3, it encourages that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin, so he could condemn sin in the flesh. If we want to have victory, it had to come through Christ. So we have a God who's both able to sympathize with us, but is impeccable in his character. This is Jesus. So he's able to feel the weight, but submit. And when we begin to feel that weight, when we begin to feel that temptation just closing around us, are we willing to submit our will to God? That's a challenge. Christ, the perfect example of that, us striving to be that same way, to submit ourselves to the will of God in every moment that we live our lives. And so when we think about that, we have this sort of struggle. What kind of struggle is it? Look what it says in verse 14 of James 1. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. So one of the ways that we're tempted is by our internal struggle. That we, inside of us, we have this struggle, these desires, our sinful um, nature that's inside of us that pulls us towards things. You realize this, right? That we all have this sort of bent towards sin. For some of us, anger is just like always at the door. For some of us, we just really like food. Some of us, we like to hear the rumor that there's some of us, we like to watch things and be entertained, even if that entertainment is carving a path on our brain towards destruction. We have these temptations that are there. And what it says is those desires lure us in, right? Your desires are like, Psh, oh, let's see, Jude, what, you, what are you tempted with today? Phew, Joe, let's see if he'll bite on, on this one. I, phew, Terry. Let's see if you'll take a nibble on this one, right? And so we have this, this internal thing that's trying to lure us away, like, mmm, yummy, right? Oh, we just jump on it. And we just like, what happened? We sin, we fall short. That lure, that desire inside of us overwhelms us, we give in. But sin, when it's fully conceived, sin, when we're not willing to deal with it, because what do we do with sin? We repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a message we heard from John, we hear from Jesus, we repent, but when we don't, that sin begins to build, and it becomes this addiction, it becomes this thing that we rely on, and where does it lead us? To death. It leads us to death, right? So we can stop the process. Hopefully, when that lure comes along, like, nope, not again. I'm not chomping on that burrito again. I like food, I'm not, that's my third plate. Nope, not doing it again. Right? Oh, there's that show again. I know what that leads me towards. Nope, I'm not going to do it. Hey, my phone, right? Swipe, swipe, swipe. 
swipe, swipe, right? The satisfaction, the like dopamine rush, swipe, swipe, right? No, I'm going to delete that app. I'm going to get rid of this thing. No, I'm not taking my phone in the bathroom. No, I'm not going to spread that rumor. No, I'm not going to listen on that conversation. No, I have to stop it. It's an internal battle that we all face. If you know yourself, you're able to resist the lure. Right? When you begin to know this is where my struggle is and you have brothers around like, Eric, keep me. Hey, when the burrito comes by, grab me. All right? Don't let me run that way. All right? It's not really burritos. It's like ice cream. Okay, I'm confessing. That's a confession time. It's ice cream, right? And so we have these tendencies like, hey, we have, Mike, help hold me accountable to these things. And we all of a sudden surround ourselves with people that when we're like, Right, they grab us, they hold us, they hold us accountable. Hey, how's it been with the burrito this week? Right, we have this tendency to isolate, which means we sit there and watch the lures go by. Right, and we give in, and we give in, and we give in, and we stay in the dark. And then, guess what? When it leads to death, death, what it means is we become numb, we don't even care anymore. I don't even care if I spread that rumor, I don't care if it hurts anybody, doesn't matter to me. Oh, I don't care if I watch that anymore. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if I, about my health anymore. Don't even listen to me. We have these things that we just become numb. This is death. We don't have life anymore. We don't have that ability to dive out. Beware this internal struggle. Casting, reeling you in, trying to pull you in. We don't want to bite. The better way to do it is get in that school. Get in a community that's going to help you battle that internal struggle. But there's another struggle. There's an external struggle when it comes to temptation, and that comes from the enemy, right? It comes from our enemy, the devil, the tempter. That's what we're going to see in this picture, right? Satan is going to begin to tempt and begin to gnaw away and, and spread those lies and whispers in here. You really want that burrito? It's really good. It was good the first five times you ate it, right? Oh, you know, you're really lonely. You can find companionship here. Oh, yeah, you'll feel more important if you know everything about everybody. Oh, and you're going to get in trouble if you say that. You're not, you're not strong enough to make it through that. You need to medicate with this or, or take this. And that the liar, this external thing begins to spread lies and whisper in our ear. And we believe him. But he's the father of lies. We read about that last week, John 8, 44. He's the father of lies. Don't listen to him. Don't even listen to yourself. Listen to the word of God. Listen to what God says about you. Then you'll be set free. Right? Here's Christ. He knows what God has said about him. You are my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. We sit there. We live there. We let the spirit be the one to minister to us in this. Because the enemy... He's going to whisper. And there's really, we kind of know the game plan, right? In fact, if you turn to 1 John chapter 2, we kind of get the game plan. We get sort of what Satan's schemes are going to be in, in sort of three arenas that he tries to tempt us in. And we see these kind of happening in this temptation of Jesus as well. Verse 15 of chapter 2 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And when our eyes are just for the things of the world, we've turned our back on the Lord. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whew. Want to abide with the Lord forever, or you want to chase after fleeting 
passing away lures that promise something good but don't deliver. They don't deliver. Lures don't deliver. They deliver you to death and destruction. They don't deliver to you life. Right? And so we have to make that choice. How do we resist against the desires of the flesh, these physical things that we want, the desires of the eyes that lead us astray or the pride of life? So let's look at it. Let's go back to Matthew 4 and let's see. How does Jesus battle our enemy, the, the tempter, in these verses? So let's pick up in verse 2. Then after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Wait, who else was spent 40 in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, the Israelites, right? 40 years, Jesus is there, 40 days, right? Now, over those 40 days, do you think Jesus was tempted more than three times? Most likely, right? So there's a purpose behind why these three things are being brought to light through Scripture. So remember, he was tempted in every way we were without sin, is what Hebrews 4.15 says. So we look at these three with, with critical eyes. What can we learn from them? So after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, you think? I mean, like, duh, right? I mean, this is like one of those things. Like, you probably didn't have to add that part, but yeah, okay. He's hungry. Like, I fast for like second service and I'm hungry, let alone like 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, I already told you, burrito, right? You already know me. Um, and so we, we have this, this moment. Now, listen, can I point out something? It says after. The fast is over. It, it wasn't a sin for Jesus to eat. Right? We, we sometimes get caught up in these things because there is this like first layer of temptation, but there's a deeper level that is being played out as well. And that's true in our life as well. It's not just about a burrito. It might be about I need comfort and I'm finding it in something that isn't the Lord. Right? So there's always something deeper. So as we look at these, let's, let's see the deeper meaning. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Gives him a quote from Deuteronomy 8, which we'll go to in a few minutes. But here's the temptation. Lust of the flesh. Physically, you're hungry. You want something. Go get it. But there's something deeper going on. Did you notice how the tempter started it? If you're the son of God. I don't know how you imagine Satan speaking to him. But like, If you're the son of God. Because what did we just hear? What, did, what just happened in the story? The baptism. The skies open. This is my son, beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So have you ever thought about one of the desires of the flesh is the desire to be validated, to be known? Oh, if you're the son of God, prove it. I mean, he said it. Jesus, prove it. Turn those rocks into stone. I mean... Why not? Not a big deal. Rock to stone. I mean, he took bread, a little kid's lunch, and fed 5,000. Not a problem, right? This is a high-level difficulty for Christ. He's like, hey, prove it. Woo! How many times do we feel like we have to prove ourselves? And it leads us into destruction. I mean, think about this. Think about the fights that you have with the people at your work or the people at home, right? How many times is it because we're defending ourselves? We feel slighted. We feel a certain way, and we step right into it, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but if there's ever at home a struggle between Tara and I, right, it, it's so much easier if, like, she says something, I'm like, you know what? You probably, you, let, me, let me pray about that. Let me see if that's what's true about me. 
Release all the tension in the room. Because you, you listen, you hear, you're able to let that release and say, Lord, I want you to be the one to encourage me and, and validate me. And, and you're the one. I'm nothing. Everything. All glory to him. And so are we, if we're able to have this attitude, we're able to answer it. And here's his answer, right? Man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you hunger for the word of God like you do for food? Do you hunger, like, do you three times a day feast on the word of God? Do you pray before you feast on the word of God, like we pray before we eat? Is it a regular part of our life? Is it a focus of, hey, I'm driving down the road, I'm thinking, where am I going to go eat today? Or am I driving down the road listening to the word of God? How are we redeeming the things that we do, letting the word of God be a central part of our life? Because if you want to overcome sin, the word of God has to be central. I mean, this is what Jesus used, the word of God, as his defense against the enemy. How central is the word of God? Now, it is possible for you to be in your house and, and John 3 is playing in the background, for God so loved the world, and to still get a fight with your wife. It's possible. Right? He's like, just as God forgave the world, like, I can't forgive you. It's possible to have that fight. It is. Believe me, it's possible. But it's less likely when you're surrounding yourself with a reminder of what God has done for us and how we're supposed to forgive like Christ forgave. So as we surround ourselves with the word of God, our answers, our thoughts are going to be more surrounded by his word. How good are you at memorizing the word? Are you hiding it in your heart? Are you renewing your mind with the word of God? I mean, we know a lot of lyrics to songs. How much do we know the word of God? So... As we, as we pour the word of God in our life, it's going to help us defend ourselves against the enemy. Let's look back at this Deuteronomy 8, because I think it's interesting. Why, why does Jesus go to these passages in Deuteronomy? Let's look what it says, because it gives us a good context of what we're talking about with those parallel tracks. Look what it says in verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you will keep his commandments or not. Woo! What was the point of the wilderness? Humility. Testing their heart to make sure it was genuine, proved genuine, and so they would keep his commandments. And he humbled you. And let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Manna? Wait, isn't that bread from heaven? Hmm. You see a similarity here? The first temptation with bread. First real grumbling of the people with bread, right? He says, um, fathers know that he might make known to you that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So there's our connection. There's our quote. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know that <clears throat> then in your heart that a man disciplines his son. As a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. So we're commanded to walk in his ways, right? So Step number one, right, the word of God. How central is it in our life if we want to overcome temptation? Let's look at the second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city 
and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? So he takes him up to the temple. He's overlooking the temple court. This is where the presence of God lives, the Ark of the Covenant, all these things. And Jesus is up there. And he's like, hey, here's Satan. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written. Woo! You mean Satan knows scripture? You mean Satan can twist scripture to try to make you believe something that's not true? I mean, think about this. The first real, the deep temptation, if you're the son of God, prove it. Here's the second one. Oh, okay. You say it is written. Hey, I'll give you something that's written. Prove it. Fulfill it. Oh, you said you're the son of God? You say you're all about the word? Do this. But what he's asking him to do is not fulfill the scripture the way God has intended it. This is a quote out of Psalm 91. It's not a messianic prophecy. It's not something that Jesus came to fulfill. But he's like, hey, it says this, do this. Right? There's this temptation, this deeper level that is like, hey, here's another chance to validate yourself. If you do this before everybody, they're going to see it and they're going to believe it. Do you remember when we used to think that see it and believe it was like really true? Do you remember those days? Like I hear all the time, uh, if I just saw God, I would believe it. Would you? I mean, think about it. You see something miraculous on YouTube, do you believe it? You see a picture, looks too incredible, do you believe it? Like, no, I could make that on Photoshop today. I could, I, I could take an app and make these things. You could make a, a screen thing on TikTok or whatever social media is that easy, make a fake video. We used to see it to believe it. And here he is, hey, throw yourself down, people be amazed, right? Caught up right before you hit the ground, right in the temple court, everybody's here to worship God, they're going to see you as God right then. But again, Jesus didn't feel the need to validate himself. Why? Hey, my life, my death, when I get up out of the grave, there's enough validation in that. Now, there's enough validation that, hey, I don't need to prove myself here. Just wait. I'm going to come in these temple courts. I'm going to throw the tables upside down. I'm going to come in this temple court, and I'm going to proclaim the true God. I'm going to, I'll, don't worry. I'll come in. They'll see me. Not your way, but God's way, God's plan. I don't need to validate myself. I'm going to be patient and see what the Lord has. And they're going to, you're going to kill me. But, oh, death, where's your sting? Because in three days, boop, I'm out of there. The power of God is greater than the power of the enemy. So he doesn't feel the need to validate in this case. And he quotes for him out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, like the same little section of Scripture Jesus is using in order to defeat the enemy, right? And he tells them, on their hands they will, not, they will bear you up, right? Or, sorry. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he's talking about when they were at Massa and they had tested God with the strike in the rock to get water, and they kept testing the Lord. They said, but we're not going to put the Lord to the test. We're going to wait for his plan to unfold. And then temptation number three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you shall fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only 
shall you serve. I don't know what Satan was appealing to. Was he trying to get the, like, right hook? Was he trying to, like, get him fired up in this moment? Like, hey, fall down and worship me. Like, what? I created you. What are you talking about, right? I don't know what the temptation was in that respect, but I know there's something deeper. Because why? Why would Satan take him to the highest peak, show him the kingdom of the world, and say, all this I will give you. Because we know Satan has a degree of power. He has the prince of the power of the air. All the world is caught up in his schemes currently. But why would he do that? Well, because, hey, Jesus, you want to win all these people back? There's another way. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. I will renounce my claim to them. I have a claim over all of them because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Satan's like, I'll release my claim. Just bow down and worship me. Save yourself. Save yourself the pain and, and the struggle and having the sin. Save yourself that. Fall down and worship me. And so often we struggle with walking the, the straight and the narrow path that God has for us. So often we struggle with, is this God's purpose for my life to go through this struggle? Can, can I just escape I mean, we know suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope, that we consider it pure joy through trials because it makes our faith mature. But, but I don't want to go through that hard thing. Let me escape. I'll medicate. I'll drink away my problems. I'll, I'll escape to this thing or I'll escape to that thing instead of perseverance through things that are hard. And we want to escape. And here Jesus is like, be gone. No. For it's written, I'm going to serve the Lord only. Are we that strong? Are we that willing to say, Lord, whatever purpose you have for my life, I'm going to walk through it. All glory goes to him. Because listen, as you're walking on the path that God has for you, people over here are trying to call you off. Hey, people over here are insulting you. People over here have lures. They're throwing at you, trying to pull you away from the path that God has for you. Yet Christ gives us the perfect example. Hide the word of God in your heart. Walk faithfully with him. So I want to encourage you, if you want to, I want to battle well, if you want to win this battle of temptation, you got to hide the word of God in your heart. Like I'll give you an example of my own life. You can probably tell what I struggle with sometimes with the verses that I memorize. Like uh, James 1, 19, right? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What do you think I struggle with? Some anger sometimes, right? So why do I say that verse? Because when I'm in that moment, right, it's like, be quick to listen, slow to speak. That solves a lot of things, by the way, right? Being slow to speak will help you in your life, okay? It's helped me in my life, right? Um, be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because when I actually listen, I hear things right. When I don't really listen and I hear it through my own lens, I usually hear things wrong. Right? Something that was meant to be a compliment all of a sudden frustrates me because they, the way that they said it, when in actuality they're trying to compliment me, whew, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I've just learned in my life it's better to not say anything. <laughs> it's just not. There's times in your life where it's just better to just like sip it. And if I am going to say something, I'm going to say the word of God. It's hard to argue with the word of God. Right? It's hard to say, you need to do this. Well, actually, what God says is that this. 
right? And you're able to use the word of God as an opportunity to be strengthened in the character, to defeat the enemy, to be able to say, be gone. You realize that, right? You don't have to listen to Satan's lies. You can tell him, be gone. Like, stop. Okay, enough already. I, I know. I know what you think about me, but I want to listen to what God thinks about me. Oh, don't listen to that voice inside of you. Don't listen to that little small voice going, mmm, burrito, right? Don't listen to that one, right? Listen to what God says about you. See, what we want to do, in order to be more like Christ, we have to replace what we think of us with what God thinks about us. He designed us. It's sort of like buzz mode in Toy Story. Like He doesn't even know that he has another mode yet, right? We have other modes that God has created us for to walk in freedom. We don't have to keep walking in the same steps, the same cycles of sin. We don't have to keep walking in that. We can be set free. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this week we can walk forward and not sin by submitting ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit and what God has for our lives? Whew, seems like a dream. Walking in freedom. Right? But man, we have that opportunity through the Spirit of God. And look what it says in verse 12 or verse 11. So then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what might be spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region, in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And this is a quote out of Isaiah chapter 9 saying, listen, when you're able to overcome that sin, you can now walk. You can now do ministry. You can now bless other people because you're now the light. Right, and we're seeing this in Jesus' example here. Now, what's interesting is we're going to study more of this area of Galilee as we start going through starting next week and the Sermon on the Mount and these incredible things. But this land of Natali, this idea of the, this region that was covered in darkness, the Decapolis, this, all these areas, but now a light has come. Now, you've heard of Isaiah chapter 9 before. In fact, we, we quote it almost every Christmas because these are the first two verses out of Isaiah 9, but verse 6 for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? We've heard that verse before, all in the same prophecy saying, hey, this prophecy is going to be about Jesus. And what I call this, I call this retro evidence. Right? We've been talking about evidence so far throughout. Right? We're talking about clear evidence. Like we know that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. We know the timing, born of a virgin. We know all these incredible things. We also have these evidences that as we look back, we see them being fulfilled. We saw this when he said, out of Egypt I call my son. Right? Just like Israel was called out of Egypt, so Jesus was going to be called out of Egypt. Right? We see these evidences. Right? We see Herod killing the children just as Pharaoh killed the children, threw them in the Nile. Herod, in the same way, was going to threaten and kill the children that were two years old and younger. And then we see here that he's going to be dwelling in the land of Galilee, this, this new place that needed the light of Jesus Christ in it. And we'll talk about why um, next week we can dive into this story even deeper. But we have evidences of what God can do through a life fully surrendered to him. So let me encourage you this week. The lures are going to come by. 
right? The internal desire is going to be like, hmm, temptation. But know yourself. Replace those struggles that you have with the word of God. If your struggles are your thought life, then do you 2 Corinthians 10.5. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So when your thoughts begin to wonder, like, whoa, no, 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 come back here. Right? When, when you struggle with lust, you struggle with these different things, right? Memorize scripture that's going to help you battle in that and to say no. Right? And then don't just, like, keep looking at the lures. Put the word of God in front of your face. Right? Replace this temptation with the word. Tell Satan, no, be gone. I'm not listening to that lie anymore. Let's battle this week. Let's go to war, all right? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us battle, battling against the temptations that come from both inside with our desires and also, Lord, from an enemy that wants to destroy us and wants to lead us to death. Lord, I pray this week you'll help us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, going to war, battling hard, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for these beautiful patterns, Lord, in your scripture, from all the way from Genesis, Lord, all the way through Israel, to show us, Lord, that your plan is better. The new has come. So, Lord, help us to trust in this new plan that you have for us, to live in freedom, to not live in regrets from the past. So give us that freedom this week. Help us to be your light in a world that needs the hope of Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Hey, before we head out, I want to let you know we are highlighting different teams on Sundays. And today we're highlighting the team called the Welcome Team. And you'll never guess what they do. They welcome people. So they're actually a bunch of smiling faces, and they, sometimes they wear shirts like this. We're glad you're here. And if you're interested in helping out on this team, uh, come see me or shoot me an email. love to get you plugged in. Uh, there's areas that, that you can serve and help, help ushering during uh, second or third service or handing out bulletins or different things like that. So uh, it's a very important and very uh, enjoyable position uh, for you to serve in. We also have different ministries that Fellowship Church likes to participate in and, and help. And one of those in our community is called True Choice. And they have a need to replenish their baby boutique. And so there's items like baby wipes and diapers and different things like that. There is a table out here under the path group wall on your way out in the foyer uh, that you can grab a flyer or there's a QR code in there. Uh, if you bring your bulletin home and you forget about it, you can check out the QR code in the bulletin that brings you to our link tree, and you can read, out, read more information on that as well. Of course, it's also in your bulletin. But just a great way to uh, help love on people in our community. Hey, let's finish off with this verse in Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Is weak. Thank God we got the Holy Spirit within us. Amen. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great week.